Hello, and welcome to Got a Hot Minute? A bonus episode of the East German Fashion History Podcast, where I recommend books and other sources dedicated to the study of fashion in, Ger- in the German Democratic Republic. Today, I'll be reviewing an exhibition catalog, one of my all-time favorites, I have to say. Uh, it's called Ingrenzen frei, Modefotografie Underground, DDR 1979 bis 1989, translated in English to Freedom Within Borders, Fashion Photography and the Underground, 1979 to 1989, which is available through Amazon Germany for 148 Euro. So the exhibit was presented by Berlin's uh, Kunstgewerbemuseum, or Museum for Decorative Arts, and the production company Substitute from July 4th through September 13th in 2009. Within a quick turnaround time, this was conceptualized and created through Henrik Gericke and Michael Bölke in collaboration with Grit Seymour and Frieda von Wild. The catalog and exhibit was organized through Christine Weidenschlager, the fashion textile department director of the Museum of Decorative Arts. So I've included images which you can find in a link to the episode description, and I highly recommend you check it out. And for today's episode, I'm just going to be discussing key movements and photographers, as well as summarizing essays from Gericke and Bölke to give you a better context for those visuals you'll be looking at. So in Grenzen frei was a retrospective of the artists, fashion designers, photographers, and essentially tastemakers who sought freedom from the GDR through creativity. Their protestations were tireless, and their medium for an act of rebellion was personal style. These daring creatives that also worked in the mainstream fashion industry at places like Zibilla formed uh, collaborative groups that would present underground fashion shows and other performances. The exhibit was groundbreaking in its nature, and this exhibit was groundbreaking in its nature because it really features never before seen photographs, and I've included that, those in the links, in the link. So these major creative collectives included Chic, Charmant, und Dauerhaft, or Chic, Charming, and Lasting, Stadtgespräch, or City Gossip, Omelette Surprise, and Alalayarau which translates to all kinds of fur, also known as Thousand Furs, which was the name of a Brothers Grimm fairy tale. So Alalayarau was one of the more central ones. It was really a breakthrough of this countercultural movement. They really had a deep desire for personal freedom and an individuality and to look different, feel and be different was the core of their mission. Their existence was a form of resistance, and we see that being echoed, especially in queer community, in the history of the queer community. And this was showcased through fantastical costumes, but it wasn't just the clothes that were unique, it was the materials they used. It was the silhouettes and their stylization of them that rendered these costumey clothes really true works of art. 
And while the catalog itself doesn't feature specific objects and garments, it does prevent these never-before-seen photographs from the following photographers. Tina Barra, Hartmut Beil, Sibylle Bergemann, Michael Bietwigs, Harald Hauswald, Jürgen Homut, Ute Mahler, Werner Mahler, Sven Marquardt, Roger Melles, Helga Paris, Robert Said Paris, Frieda von Wild. So in addition to a rather concise and approachable introduction by Dr. Angela Schönberger, she's the director of the Museum of Decorative Arts, um, which I really admired because in my in my history of museum studies and and going to grad school and looking at curatorial studies and looking at really studying the way people write their object labels and how exhibits are actually curated and written about a lot of these a lot of these intro panels a lot of a lot of exhibition catalogs can tend to be like a little pedantic and unnecessarily highbrow to be quite honest and this catalog was the opposite of that. It was very concise and easy to follow. It also features essays by Michael Bülke and Henrik Gericke that provide really a solid foundation for understanding the zeitgeist of the GDR in the late 70s and up until the fall of the Berlin Wall. So, Michael Bülke highlights that many of the photographers and performances from these creative collectives addressed issues such as sexuality and vulnerability and featured alongside motifs of empty street canyons and gray houses portrayed in a very surreal effect. They explored themes relevant to their generation, like the desire for the human body, color, playfulness and performing at least a sense or a feeling of freedom. Taboos were broken, coming outs were celebrated, and this underground movement and art and the art that was created was really a space where everyone wished to be seen instead of hiding, conforming and complying to the social norms of the GDR. Now, Henrik Gerge goes on to remark, if one follows the rumor that every action that is committed and every word that is spoken is political, then this affected the life of the GDR in a very particular way. If this notion is to be fact, then one has to regard the majority of those who no longer acted because they worked, no longer spoke because they were silent. So the underground and creative collectives like Shikshamant and Dauerhaft and Omelette Surprise existed in an ideological mini-universe where red flags were always blowing towards the east. Gerke goes on to reflect that politically, they were those who stood up in word and indeed against the, quote, state-mandated tides of coma and vegetative coma. And again, I translated this best to my abilities and left a lot of these words as they were because I think they're poignant in themselves. But much of this resistance proved ineffective in the end. And while we would think you're rebelling against the East, you would look towards the West, that's not necessarily true. And that's not the way we should be looking at 
this countercultural movement because, however, the West was not necessarily a cardinal direction for them and for this underground movement. Rather, it was seen as dystopic. For those that grew up in this early age country, the West was always a dream of music, dance, and beautiful clothes. But as he says, an easy dream can rarely thrive in a difficult state like East Germany. To understand the cult counterculture, and I think this goes for most histories of civilizations, you need to be acquainted with the trends and tendencies of East German youth culture, which often gravitated towards this alternative. So while the beat generation of East Germany celebrated a lightheartedness that was self-sufficient, it displeased those that who this was never enough for. For the freaks, quote, freaks and hippies that felt fenced in and were vagabonds within these four walls, they eventually lost their flowery self-understanding and with it sometimes their long hair. But the movement that was most important and that should get the most credit was the punk movement in the late 70s and, and in, well into the 80s. And punks won their lost battles. They, they organized a tumult and raged through the broken back, backdrops of a faltering state and they were often imprisoned. Side note, if you need a great book on East German punk culture and the history of it, I would check out Burning Down the House, and that will also be that is also in the blog post. Now, if the opposition movement, which believed in reform, was still looking for a supposed dialogue in the GDR, which was designed as one paralleled monologue, then the punks started a direct confrontation at the beginning of the 80s. So moving on from youth culture. Now, the style and the fashions and dress of these countercultural movements were purposely worn to be to look tattered and theatrical and often seen as sartorial satire. Celebrated designs and silhouettes didn't really have an ideological purpose or intent, but were simply there to be over the top and exploratory. After a while, this subculture became high culture and as Gerica notes, and and the clownish irony that had persisted was now exhausting itself and sat, oversaturating itself, much like social media has saturated itself today. And ingenuity became overly staged. So Gerica also goes on to reflect that the greatest of all repressions, however, was the, quote, grazing boredom in the four long decades of the German Democratic Republic's short existence. The generation-specific defense reactions developed and were eventually suppressed. And I'd like to end this, this short note um, with some final words that he had mentioned that I do, he, what he had said was that to surrender oneself to this countercultural counter -cultural movement was really liberation of the individual. So when you go onto the blog, check out these images, think of these words, and think of this idea of surrendering yourself to counterculture to find a greater freedom. 
And that is it. I hope you have a great weekend and I will see you Tuesday for our episode going into the 80s. Danke and good night.